Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose a different expert to share the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing Carly French and Phil Marcelona about recent iOS changes and the resulting impacts on email marketing. All right, let's get to it. I'm Guy Reed. And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we're joined by Carly and Phil to talk about changes in digital privacy, the resulting impact on email marketing, and the recommendations marketers can take into 2022. Carly French is a senior manager supporting Merkel's marketing technology consulting strategy practice, focusing on marketing technology solutions strategy and technology enablement. Phil Marcelona is a principal supporting Merkel's marketing technology strategy practice as well, um, focusing on data-driven marketing, technology solution strategy, and omni-channel experience enablement. Welcome to our show, everyone. Thanks for having having us. us. All right. So in our last episode, we reviewed the fundamentals of email marketing, talked a little bit about uh, privacy impacts. And I know this iOS change has made some pretty big changes. I've heard things about hiding my my email feature, um, mail privacy protection. Carly and uh, and Phil, can you guys give us some insight on this? Yeah, sure. I mean, those are the two biggest ones, I think, uh, with the iOS changes, especially with respect to email. And so I'll talk a little bit about hide my email and Carly will take privacy protection. But I think hide my email, pretty self-explanatory. As a user of um, iOS, of potentially iCloud Plus, you have the ability to create fake or burner email accounts. So the, the, the whole purpose is that you can obscure your email, right? If I want to create a new account, for a newsletter subscription, but I'm not super sure I know exactly how credible the source is or the site that I'm gonna you know, enroll in the newsletter for, I could create a burner email account through this Apple service and use that to register. And I'll still get email normally to my main email account, but that, um, that newsletter um, provider doesn't actually know my real email. So that's the hide my email feature in a nutshell, I'd say. And so first question that's coming to mind for this one, is there a certain amount of time that you can use this fake email address or is it like indefinitely or is it completely within the users, like whatever they want to yeah, do? It's, it's indefinite. I mean, the way Apple has rolled it out is as a user, if you're an iCloud plus subscriber, you can just sort of create a whole, you know, database or bank of these fake email accounts and use them as you kind of wish. So it's pretty interesting. It's a definite, yeah. you know, dynamic change in terms of how we exchange our email um, and that piece of, you know, our identity, so to speak, on the on the web. So but I will say it is interesting. It'll be it'll be it'll be cool to see how it does or doesn't sort of grab hold in the market um, because it, it requires, you know, work on the user's end to be saying, you know, yes, I'm going to opt into this and I'm going to have to go and create email accounts to, you know, use in this sort of burner like drug dealer fashion. So (laughs) (laughs) shady back alleyway things happening with these email addresses. And then for, you know, the mail privacy protection, it's a little bit more technical and, um, you know, 
my opinion would be this might have less adoption than the hide my email, um, but it's still really focused on the user's privacy. Uh, but what it's doing, it's it's hiding your IP address and loading that email content, so the images and the text um, privately in the background. So before you even open your email message, a lot of that content has already been rendered. Mm -hmm. That way businesses and organizations aren't really sure when you've opened it. So it's a little bit less of we're watching you and we know what you're doing at all times. Um, so it's forcing organizations to kind of do different types of optimizations and allowing customers, again, to have a little bit more control over what businesses are uh, seeing when they're opening emails. So one of the things that came up in our, in our previous episode was the idea of AI and email. Um, I'm wondering with the burner emails and being able to have these extra privacy protection things, I feel, it feels like AI wouldn't really be able to be utilized in the situation. Is that true? Or how are you guys thinking about that? I mean, I think that's a super interesting question. Um, so if we look at hide my email first, and if I think about some of the AI sort of email optimization technologies and solutions I'm aware of out there, it's interesting because if you just look at it within the lane of email, right, and take, take for example, the type of AI solution that looks to kind of auto-generate subject lines and then optimize, you know, your subject line based off of, you know, who's interacting with different emails, you know, according to each subject line. Hide my email still enables marketers to email you, right? It's not like, mm -hmm. oh, I can't email Phil anymore because he's giving me his burner email. So it still enables marketers to do that. It still enables marketers to um, measure some engagement, right? If I click through on that email, there's, mm -hmm. there's some measurement that happens there. So I think depending on the type of solution, like if it's a very kind of email focused AI solution, there might not be as much of an impact as you might expect. But I think the broader mm -hmm. sort of AI and um, applications that might look at data that are, that are connected to me, um, not just mm -hmm. from this burner email account, but also potentially from somewhere else that that organization might be, you know, collecting profile data about me or behavioral data. That's where right. we see a lot of impacts, right? Because if I have decided to hide my email, my true email from you as an organization, you only know what I'm doing with this burner email and you can't necessarily uh, without some other strategies in place, connect other activities that I might be having with you um, in different channels. Like if I'm visiting your website, for example, and I'm logged in with my regular email, right? So mm -hmm. um, I think those are examples of where, you know, some sort of next best action or like offer kind of decisioning AI tools might struggle a bit because there'll be less data for them to actually use. I don't yeah. know, Carly, you want to speak to the privacy protection? Because that one's a little bit more fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think you hit it. It's a lot of things kind of outside the broader email channel. I think when we think about artificial intelligence specifically for email, um, one of the things that comes to mind for me is around any type of content that you might be placing within the email that might be impacted by, you know, using someone's geolocation or if you're doing any type of specific time countdowns or offer deals, again, specific to that user, that's probably where you're going to have the biggest impact from any sort of AI technologies or optimizations. Um, but yeah, Phil, I think you, you hit it. No, but I do think that's a really good point, Carly, because like with privacy protection, Apple is sort of like obscuring a lot of the data around, like Carly's saying, 
um, my IP address and maybe my location more specifically. And it's instead saying like, oh, Phil's in the southeast, right? And it's instead <laughs> saying um, you, you actually don't get any open data, right? So you mm -hmm. don't know if I actually opened the email or not. Um, so I think for some of those applications, like Carly's talking about, where we might want to do a geo-targeted piece of content, that's where um, if if a user has opted into privacy protection, you have some challenges. Okay. Yeah. And any like kind of Phil was saying to next best actions or any triggers that your AI engine is trying to um, put you into a new journey based on opens, that's going to be impacted mm -hmm. as well. So let's go with the hide my email feature first and talk about that a little bit more. I think you've described pretty well, like how this, this actually works in practice for consumers, but in terms of how, you know, marketing activities are impacted from this direct change, how do you see a lot of marketers responding, um, in the management of their programs? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think sort of like we were talking about on that, on that AI, uh, conversation we just had, I think a big piece of the impact is actually when you look broader than just email, right? Because if I'm just looking at managing and executing my email um, practices as they are today, you can still do that even if someone's given you their burner email address. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're trying to kind of look at the bigger picture of how that, how that individual, that prospect or customer might be interacting with you in other places, that's where there are challenges. So you think about like cross-channel messaging use cases, that's where there's going to be a bit more of a struggle. And I think um, as marketers kind of work to navigate these changes, a big, what will be, I think, a, a big part of sort of figuring out how to cope with these things is actually going to be better segmenting or creating audiences of, you know, potential people with burner email accounts, right? Like do some sort of analytical look at all of your customers and your database and those who have, you know, at iCloud email addresses and some pretty random seeming, you know, string in front of that, like those are the ones who we may, might want to create a separate audience to say, these are, um, you know, hide my email people, right? So let's actually track and understand how they behave differently and how we might want to treat them differently accordingly. So I think those are some of the, the big things that marketers should be thinking about. I don't know, Carly, what else on there? Yeah, I think you hit it. I think... Um... We talked a lot about, you know, the different types of segmentation practices. I think any other um, use cases around, you know, making sure you're establishing those benchmarks. So, like you said, looking at your email file list um, from kind of post iOS 15 released today to see how you're performing and how many of your uh, sends are actually hitting that iCloud address. Um, and then also we talk a little bit about making sure you're collecting additional customer identifiers. So, you know, collecting things around name, physical address, their phone, mm. zip code, things like that to really start helping build out your first party identity graph. So you're not so constricted if you don't get an email address. And you guys talk about... Yeah, um, that's a huge one, partly. You guys talk about being able to follow a customer along their journey with these with these burner emails. How likely is it that um, someone's just going to continue using the same burner email with a given organization kind of along their journey versus like continually creating burner emails or um, interacting across different emails with that brand? I think it's TBD, but if I had to... Um make some educated guesses. 
I think people <laughs> won't stay on top unless they're like hyper privacy sensitive people. Like I don't think they're going to stay on top of like creating these new burner emails, yeah. like just for their Merkle newsletter. For example. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it's like, all right, I created this burner email for Merkle newsletter because I don't really want Merkle to know that I'm subscribing to them. Um, but after that, like <laughs> I, I, um, I suspect we won't see people super actively managing all of these burner emails. Um, to, you know, to further kind of put you off the trail, so to speak. Right. right? So, yeah, I think it's a good way to start to organize your email a little bit. So I think one of the examples Apple has given is like making categories. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is my, those are my shopping emails. These are my newsletters or like weekly news emails. These are my, you know, professional email. So you can start to say, okay, I'm getting a lot of junk mail from my shopping. How can I start to break that down even further? Maybe we do specific, like this is my retail, this is my pet, this is my house. <laughs> um, so it just helps you organize, I think a little bit more, but you still get all of those emails. And to Phil's point, having people make hundreds of burner emails, I think it's going to be, it'd be interesting to see people managing that scale. So <laughs> yeah, very interesting. <laughs> likely, likely brands can still, you know, follow someone along their journey. It's just going to be disconnected with whatever, um, maybe information they had in the past that, on that person. Shifting to <laughs> Apple's male privacy protection. Um, what does this change mean for, for consumers? Yeah, so I think um, kind of like we were talking about the male privacy protection. I mean, if if you're a consumer and you want to use it, I think to be clear, it is part of um, Apple's mail client. So if you use the Apple iOS mail app to manage your email, or if you use the Mac OS mail app to manage your mail, you'll actually be prompted to opt in to mail privacy protection. So as a user, that's kind of how it looks to you. iOS updated. I mean, a lot of people have probably already gotten this screen and been like, well, I don't know, no, yes, and had just kind of made some <laughs> kind of decision on there. So, but I think Carly did a good job of explaining uh, what it does. But in practice for consumers, like you opt in and you don't really think about it after that, right? You're just sort of like reading this, this sort of opt-in page that tells you Apple's gonna, you know, limit the amount of, things that other companies can track on you. And if you're interested in that, which I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how, how all of those kind of metrics pan out over the year here too. But I feel like there's probably going to be a, a fair amount of people who just, you know, kind of mark the box. Yeah, I want to opt into that. It sounds better than having people know all the things I'm doing in my email all the time. Um, so, <laughs> but basically uh, from the user perspective, you know, that's what it looks like. I think what happens behind the scenes is Apple's hiding your IP address. So um, sort of giving you a more generic IP address that, you know, makes it more challenging, like Carly said, for marketers to understand where you might actually be from a geolocation standpoint. And then they're also doing a sort of preload of all the email content in the background um, on a, on a server, God knows where, right? So I think like that, I guess that's kind of technical. So what that means though, is like, if you think I opened an email and everything just loaded when I opened that email, that's what typically in the past has triggered all of these different email um, service provider companies to understand if I opened an email or not, right? Makes sense. Like, okay, I opened the email, all of the content, the, the images, the text, it had to load and a signal basically gets sent back to the inner, to the email service provider to say 
hey, Phil, open an email. Let's record one open on this email for Phil. But with privacy protection, what's happening instead is that Apple is actually, every time an email comes to you, whether or not you open it, they're actually pre-opening it, essentially. They're pre-loading it on another server, right? And they're just storing that. And so to the email service provider, to the marketer, it looks it's going to look like every single email sent to every single person who is on Apple's mail app and opted into this is always opened every time right away. That's what it's going to look like. So That's marketers are seeing anything. Yeah. So marketers are effectively <laughs> for these for these Apple mail um, users who have opted in, they're going to lose visibility as to whether or not they're really opening emails. Um, okay. So that's that's the that's what it is. That's how for a consumer, you hardly know what's going on after you opt in. Right. Um, and for marketers, it's going to be a little bit rough. So <laughs> so how are marketers responding to this, this change in their program? Yeah. So to kind of build on what Phil was saying, I think we like to think about the three biggest impacts to marketers in three categories. Mm -hmm. The first is going to be impact to measurement. So there's challenges like Phil was just saying around open rate tracking and making sure we see performance metrics come through and other types of customer engagements that are determined by, you know, open rates. So it's like click to open or any type of, you know, uh, other content loading for engagement. The third or the second one is going to be optimizations. So any of those send time optimizations, journey triggers mm -hmm. that we were mentioning earlier, and then lastly, content. So again, anything that is triggered by your geolocation or being able to send content based on, uh, you know, this is a certain offer that's only exclusive for the next 24 hours. Those are going to be challenging to do without appropriate send time and open rate engagement metrics. Are the are most um, managers of email programs uh, changing their main KPIs that they're they're measuring against given these changes? Yeah, so I think a lot of uh, ESPs, email service providers, and organizations have already started to shift away from those open centric strategies. So they started to look at click through rates and engagement, you know, post the email open. Um, so I think people are are you know benchmarking what they're seeing today, and then measuring, again, those more broader holistic metrics across the customer journey to see how is email impacting um, the entire purchase or the entire customer experience, uh, not just optimizing a single touch point anymore. Um, I, I think the only thing I would add is just that how much this is happening is, I think, I don't, I don't know exactly how much this is happening already, but I think what we are, part of what we're recommending kind of goes back to that whole audience strategy, right? Like this one is, you know, we're not necessarily looking for people who have signed up with burner emails, but instead we're looking at some of the data we might be getting back from our ESP that tells us what mail client someone is using, right? So if we can look at that data and see, okay, you know, Phil, Carly, and Gaia are all Apple mail client users, we might want to create like a, an audience or a flag to like take a closer look at them and see how they're performing and how um, we may need to change um, our tactics or strategies based off of the fact that we don't really know if they're opening emails, right? So I think that's that's mm -hmm. the other piece of what we like recommend. And I haven't personally seen it put into practice yet, but it's is all fairly new. So I think I know that there are savvy marketers out there uh, who are thinking of these things and doing them already. So I can imagine there's probably 
you know, a host of nurture series out there that also have a lot of triggers based off of someone having engaged with or opened a, a previous email. Um, yeah. So segmenting your your iOS users um, out and having like very different triggers um, is is probably a necessity as well. Yeah, absolutely. Are there other channels um, that these changes are impacting or is, is email pretty much the only one? Email is definitely the biggest one, especially when we're talking about hide my email and then the mail privacy protection changes within the larger iOS 15 privacy updates that they're doing. There's a handful of different features that are impacting maybe your web browsing as well as kind of some of your application or apps. Um, so there's mm -hmm. a few different features around those, but specifically for these two, it's definitely going to be email. And then like we've been talking about the surround sound impact of other journeys, when you click through to the website, how is that going to measure or impact the measurement to overall site performance? And are you starting to maybe track those users differently in analytics? Yeah. And I think I would, like one of the other areas that I think will be pretty impacted um, for users that obviously opt into the hide my email, you know, give you only give you a burner email is like for mm -hmm. for marketers out there who have like, for example, a newsletter. That's sort of the main driver of them getting, you know, my uh, my identity, right? My my email address and that really important identifier for the individual prospect or the individual customer. I think as we see more of those kind of burner emails come in, for those marketers who are actually trying to use those um, those sort of email collection strategies and then even like take those emails and make custom audiences in Facebook, for example, with them, like that's that's sort of at risk here too, right? Because if you load a list of, you know, 5,000 burner emails from hide my email into Facebook, you're not going to find any matches, <laughs> right? Like you're, you're literally not going to be able to create a custom audience from that, um, that list. So I think that is like that kind of sometimes used to call that onboarding or, you know, first party data loading to some of the, the other like paid media platforms. Those use cases a lot of times are hinged on personal email addresses, like my, my, my Gmail account that I use, not a burner email that I just created yesterday. Right. So I think that'll right. be pretty impacted. Um, and again, that kind of falls into the whole cross-channel, omni-channel marketing bucket. But yeah, I think that's a that's another one for, for folks to be thinking through and trying to mitigate, like how do we put strategies in place to actually get people to give us the real email? Um, <laughs> or how do we put strategies in place to, you know, places where we are collecting a real email, try and connect that up with these burner emails so that we can have some kind of visibility and to... Um, the, the individual person. So the sixth question here is a little bit of a, a crystal ball sort of question. Um, do you anticipate other non-iOS operating systems uh, that they'll begin rolling out similar privacy measures and features uh, to what Apple has done? Yeah, I, I literally in my notes, Andrea, like wrote no crystal ball for specific. So <laughs> no, we do not have a crystal ball, I will say that. Um, but, but I do think like, you know, as an industry, we're seeing all of these privacy changes happening, right? Like Google announcing the third party cookie going away at some point. Obviously, they're, they've balked on that a little bit and pushed that date out. But I right. think that like that is the other like Google is the other large, you know, tech player 
that has talked about privacy um, pretty extensively. And one of the, um, the specific sort of programs that they've talked about, who knows if it'll become reality or when it will, be, will become reality, is what they've called Privacy Sandbox for Google Chrome. And so it's basically mm -hmm. an open for comment like framework right now where they're sort of saying, hey, here's some ideas we have about how we might protect you know, consumers' data in the browser a bit more than it is today. And it's similar to some of the things um, that we've talked about here, like blocking access to IP address potentially, right? So I think there are mm -hmm. absolutely changes that are coming down the pike. It's a little bit more complicated as you get outside of Apple, because like you think about Apple's core business, like they're selling these products. They're not as dependent on like all of this ad revenue, right? Like right. Google and Facebook, they have this dependency on ad revenue. It's like the main way they drive their business. So for them to make these privacy changes, they have to kind of compromise on revenue, right? Where Apple right. kind of actually insulates themselves a little more. So, <laughs> which probably ties into the strategy if I had to guess. Um, so <laughs> it will be interesting to see um, TBD, no crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So going off of, you know, maybe some of the ideas that are coming up in the, the privacy sandbox or any announcements that have been made, are there any um, additional privacy measures um, from any of these big tech companies that are planned for a 2022 rollout that will further impact email marketing? So I think that's a great question. And Phil hit on a couple of these. I don't think we'll see or, you know, we don't know if there's anything specific to email, but I think we'll continue to see enhancements overall around your mobile security. Um, mm -hmm. I think we'll start to see more data protections around your application usage and, and data privacy of what you're sharing with different apps on your phone. Um, so that could be impacted with email if you're, you know, trying to have them click through an email into your own applications. Um, but, you know, TBD again, and then kind of like Phil was saying around, you know, the Google is, you know, retiring third party cookie tracking by the end of 2023. And I think the hope is for a lot of marketers that we start to see some development in those alternative solutions that can still provide really trustworthy measurement and reporting, but also be adhering to those new consumer privacy regulations. So making sure that we are adjusting for the way that marketers and consumers want to be treated. Very cool. So closing out our episode, are there any other key takeaways that you'd like marketers to, to walk away from this episode with or anything you want them to be thinking about? Yeah, I think, you know, Carly and I have been hitting on these themes, but to us, like as we do our sort of, you know, marketing technology and strategy consulting, big themes that are just generally popping up are around um, making sure our clients have a really strong strategy around how they do their identity um, capture, identity linkage, identity resolution. And when we say identity, we mean like, hey, can we get, you know, email addresses, names, physical home addresses, and just build up our knowledge as an organization of who our customers truly are, right? So I think having that identity strategy in place to, you know, potentially address problems like this hide my email to say, okay, customers are starting to obscure their email from us when they subscribe to our newsletter, you know, how do we change our value proposition on the content side to maybe get them to give us their real email, right? Or how do we connect the dots from somewhere else where we are connect collecting their real email 
um, with these burner emails, right? So I think that identity strategy is a really big one. And we've talked a lot about the audience strategy, right? Being able to segment out these really privacy sensitive um, groups of users and be able to treat them differently, understand their behavior better, and you know, ultimately personalize <laughs> for the people that don't want personalization, right? So um, <laughs> I, I think those are the two biggest things. And I, what else, Carly? Anything else from your perspective? Um, probably the only other thing is we talked a little bit about that it is a little bit of a, a tech savvy move to go in and change some of these settings oh. in your features. So mm. some of them do come as a default as you upgrade to iOS 15. And then some of them you have to go in and manage like all your different burner accounts. So it'll be really interesting to see what the overall consumer adoption rates are. Um, and I think that's another good thing for people to keep in mind, especially as they're doing their measurement strategies is that um, it's not going to be all of your iOS users, I can guarantee my parents are, are not going in and making burner emails. There's just no way. So it's just a good thing to keep in balance as we do see a lot of people trending for more privacy. It is something that um, customers would actively have to take on as a responsibility. So there's, there's still a good balance there. Very cool. Well, Carly and Phil, thank you so, so much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I've learned so much about email marketing. So again, thank you been super fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks. This brings us to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for an episode for our 2022 season, we would love to hear it. Just drop us a note at digitalmarketingmusings at merkalink.com. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and rate and review our show. It definitely helps others find us and be sure to tell a friend about it as well. And don't use a burner email. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> Well played, Phil. Well played. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Megan Ekman. Our team includes copywriting by Melissa Riley, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Ted Lonzak, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop and Andrea Ratner. Until next time, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.